Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. This is a podcast for safety professionals, for small business people, for contractors, anybody that's got an interest in workplace safety and health. Um, I've got two guests today, um, repeats. Both of these guys are repeats. Thanks for coming back, fellas. I, I didn't actually think anybody would come back for a second time, and uh, I, I sincerely appreciate it. Jim Steele from Airlight Plastics, safety manager at Airlight Plastics, is with us again. Hi, everybody. Uh, kind of the old guard of the safety profession. Um, and Cody Hoover with Jack Links. Thanks for coming back, Cody. Thank you. He's kind of the new wave of safety professionals. So I've got the old and the new, and, and then I don't even count myself in that. So I um, appreciate it, fellas. Um, uh, there's a few things that I want to talk about specifically with you today. Uh, we did an episode not too long ago with Scott Love from uh, Miller Electric, and we talked about the OSHA Top 10 as they pertain to construction. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the OSHA Top 10 as it pertains to general industry. Both of you come from in industrial backgrounds, uh, industrial workplaces, and I thought maybe we could address some of those things. But as usual, I've got two observations. Uh, my first observation is, uh, and for, you know, I guess fortunately this is just an audio broadcast. There's no, there's no visual uh, part of this, uh, this podcast. But I always wear, I wear a lot of hoodies, I shouldn't say. But I wear a lot of hoodies. We used to call them sweatshirts back when I was a kid. They're hoodies now. And I, I take the strings out of every hoodie that I own. And I've actually taken the strings out of every hoodie that my boys own. I've got two sons. I, I just automatically remove the strings out of these hoodies because of my fear, and maybe it's paranoia, of this mechanical asphyxiation issue, you know? I mean, when I was with OSHA, we investigated a number of those basically strangulations where somebody's scarf or somebody's hoodie strings or somebody's jewelry or somebody's loose clothing would get caught in equipment. And, and bind them up, and they couldn't pull away, and it was uh, incredibly uh, unfortunate, you know, and preventable. So I, I, this morning, I put this as a new hoodie that my wife got me for Christmas, and first thing I did was cut the strings out of it. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. It was just kind of an immediate, it came to mind, what do you guys do about those kind of things in your plants? I mean, you guys both work around equipment in your facilities. Do you have policies for hoodies or jewelry, other things like that? We do. We uh, At Airlight, we have job hazard analysis, and I'll probably mention that several times because we, we lean on that pretty heavily. And, and in the jobs where the people are working around rotating parts and the machine shop where there's mm -hmm. lays and things like that, we address it very specifically. But we in, also, in the JHA? Yeah, in the job hazard analysis, okay. which then translates into their training and the inspections we do and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, we have, the, just for the hoodies specifically, for rings, we don't work, uh, allow those, but also in production, because we're considered food service, we control mm -hmm. the the clothing attire pretty well. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What That's got you guys as well, right, Same Jack Links? Yeah. GMP um, will dictate what they can be wearing, essentially for jewelry and stuff, and anything that could get caught in any sort okay. of machinery. Um, we don't allow hoodies to be worn out on the floor just okay. because they create an obstruction if they put the hood up and oh, sure. if they're driving powered industrial vehicles. So that was just something that we've always had when uh, before I even got there, okay. so, which is Very a great good. policy. So this is something that you guys are obviously both aware of and taking care of. I still see it periodically, and it just always makes me nervous. Wow. Uh, and it just came to mind this morning as I was getting getting dressed and going into work. I you know, cut those strings out, and I thought, you know, my – my boys, I've cut every string out of theirs. They probably hate me for it, but it is what it is, right? It's, it's kind of the price you pay for having a dad who's a safety guy. Um, 
Number two, my, my second observation, and I'd actually like, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit more discussion on this because I think it's interesting, but um, I, I am, I'm an old guy. I think we've already established that. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of social media. I don't do a lot of social media. Um, I find the majority of it to be very self-aggrandizing, you know, like me, please like me kind of stuff. And I just, I have very little interest in that. However, I have started doing LinkedIn uh, because of the network possibilities with LinkedIn. I mean, you can actually go out there and as you, everyone already knows this other than me, but you can go out there and identify other people in the safety profession and other people in your communities or around the country that have similar interests and network with these people. And I am a huge proponent of networking, obviously. Uh, that's how I've gotten to know you guys, just through our, our community safety network. And uh, I am in favor of that. And, and part of the reason we started this podcast in the first place was because there are folks out there doing this work that don't have a network. And if they can't have a face-to-face -face network, which I would certainly encourage, maybe this can serve as a, some, at least an electronic network of some sort. So, so I do, I have started LinkedIn and I do believe that there is some value to it. Okay. Most of the stuff is crap. you know, I mean, I just flip through and think, oh my God, what am I doing? But occasionally, you come upon something that is actually kind of interesting. People will share um, articles they've read or white papers that might have been released or provide some actual interesting commentary about something. So somebody a few weeks ago posted a video from Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs guy, mm -hmm. which I and he was talking about. And, and I like Mike Rowe, uh, you know, um, I, he's a very articulate guy, well-educated guy, and he certainly has, uh, he's a very heart, you know, he promotes work and opportunity. I, I think that's very interesting. But he was talking about safety in, one, in this video that had been posted on LinkedIn. And his comment was, he's not a believer in this safety first mantra. He actually says safety third. You know, the reality is these companies are making widgets or they are providing a service or whatever they do, and that's the first order of business. Mm -hmm. We all know that's the first order of business, no matter how much we like the idea of safety first. So he just, you know, kind of came up with this, you know, safety third actually is a way to kind of bring attention to the concept. And I think his point is that nobody is going to be more interested in your safety than you. And, and you know, we all need to be accountable for our own safety. So aside from the fact that OSHA requires certain things of us as employers, I think we all agree, or most safety people would agree, that you know, personal responsibility and accountability is a huge part of, and probably truly the primary part of workplace safety. Uh, any comments on that? What do you think of that? Have you heard this, Mike I, Rowe? I haven't heard commentary? Mike's commentary on that, but, I've, but I've, I've always kind of said something similar to that, is that, that, uh, that safety is one of three objectives in every company. You're going to safely and efficiently do quality work, and that they all have an equal place on the, mm -hmm. on the it's like three, three legged bar stool, if you will. And right. You have to have all three. If you pull one of them out, you're going to tip over. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so we're going to safely and efficiently do quality work, is one way to express that. Right. But you have to do the work, ultimately. You have to do the work. We all yeah. agree upon that. And so you take a look at well, what's the objective, and you, know, you can safely do anything, as I've said before. You can safely jump out of an airplane. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's probably the only way you want to do it. Right. <laughs> we encourage it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no so doubt. You can safely pack plastic in a box, which is what we do, and you can safely put, you know, beef jerky in a bag and you can safely mm -hmm. uh, drive to work and all of those things. There's risk still involved, mm -hmm. but you can safely do it. But we're we're identifying the risk and controlling that to the extent that is feasible and right. 
then that, that's acceptable to us. Yeah, yeah. For, I, for the outcome. So, so I've always kind of said that, that we're going to produce the widget. You know, we're right. going to have to do that. It's and a must. We, and, but also, I, I see as my place um, in, in the company is to be the ally for safety. Mm-hmm. That quality has a natural ally, that if you send a crap product to your customer, they're going to let you know in no uncertain terms that that's unacceptable and that's going to that's going to ripple throughout your company. Right. Uh, if you aren't making a profit, then your bankers are going to be knocking at the door and they're going to send a ripple through the company. But if you aren't working safely, um, you might end up having a bad injury, but you're not, I mean, it's going to be way too late by that point. So my job is to ring the bell long before you have the injury and to say, look, we need to do a better job with safety. We need to remind ourselves of mm-hmm. safety. And, yeah, no doubt. That makes yeah. sense. And I don't think that managers or directors or anyone else has ill intent about safety. We just, we all as human beings get very, very focused on what our objective is and we lose sight of the things around us. And, right. and so my job is just to have them step back and make sure I set up processes of what people have to step back and look at the broader mm-hmm. view and realize, oh, wait a minute, somebody can get hurt doing this and mm-hmm. yeah. let's find a different way. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think that you're right. Managers have a different objective as far as what they need to be producing. And we have a different objective as far as what we need to be producing. And as long as we're communicating back and forth with each other and we accept the level of risk of what they're going to be doing or the intention of it, uh, I think that's that's going to be a key component. But, yeah, I, I agree. We always come in there. Mindset safety is number one, but we kind of know where it lies, especially yeah. when when they when they need to make product. And, and so we just need to be there as a guidance and to help them out uh, when we see right. risk. I totally agree. And I mean, you know, safety has evolved into kind of an uh, uh, maybe an industry of slogans. There are a lot of slogans and, and they're good slogans. I mean, we all want our employees to go home at the end of the day, just like they came in in the morning. You know, I mean, I, I get that and I like those. But um, I think Deming, I don't know if you're old enough to know who Edward Deming is, but Deming was, he, he was op- opposed to slogans. You know, he thought slogans, I mean, so I think slogans should be in addition to or on top of a, of a well-designed and well-implemented safety program, and then occasionally slogans are useful. But I, I, I am completely on board with the concept that we should be making our product or delivering our service safely. Not, I mean, the whole concept of safety first, I think, can be well, I think, a little bit misleading. I think one of the things that maybe it's, it's, it's evolved in meaning and that the original meaning of safety first means that that's just the first consideration. You're going to make sure all three stools are there, but let's make sure the safety one's there first, and then we'll look at the other two. And uh, but they're all three have to go in, and you're going to produce the product, you're going to do it at an efficient rate, and you're going to do it safely. And so, how do we make that happen? How do we make that happen? Right. So safety is just the first. If I were to say safety is first, what my intention of that would be is that that's going to be the first consideration. Right. That's it. We're not going to. Yeah. We're not going to. We're not going to. We're looking at a process or looking at a procedure. Let's make sure that we are. Uh, doing it safely or designing it safely. Exactly. So we're not going to safely produce a quality product at a rate that we can go out of business doing it. We're not going to produce a product at a good rate uh, um, if – that's quality if we're going to send somebody to the hospital to get it done. Right. You know? Right. So yeah. we're going to do all three of those things. Yeah. It's no essentially doubt. like a, we just want a seat at the table. Yeah. With right. The, with yeah. the rest of the group. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Just yeah. No, I, I think that, that, that I, I think they are all intertwined. I think they are inseparable. I mean, for a quality, you know, for a company that's going to survive and compete, all of those things have to be intertwined, and they are inseparable. So, you know. I really haven't met any directors or managers that, that are production or quality or otherwise that wouldn't agree with that concept, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. That, that, 
but they know it needs to have a place at the table. Everybody just can, you know, you get focused on your part of it and, right. you know, just need to make sure that you, and safety needs to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I oftentimes run into safety people or even quality people that will say, uh, you know, uh, no, you can't do that. Just flat out before they've actually looked at what it is you're trying to accomplish. Can mm-hmm. you, we, we don't allow tape as an example. This is a recent one that came up, but there's a situation where I'd like us to use some tape on mm-hmm. the production floor. Uh, but the ma- answer is always immediately, no, you can't have tape on the floor. But, well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Why can't you and how, how could we safely and efficiently do this thing in a quality mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's maybe where safety people get a bad reputation is we just like to, you know, know as our – we like well, let's just start with yeah. no and we'll work from there, right? <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. It's easier to say no instead of actually – being creative and exactly. just yeah, exploring opportunities. Well, I, I have a client, um, for example, they work in a, they have a combustible dust concern in their workplace. And so their um, owner has stipulated that compressed air will never be used for cleaning in that environment. You know, we don't want to aerosolize this uh, combustible material, and he's very fearful of that. But, I mean, even in the standard and in the NFPA documents, uh, as long as you can control the ignition sources, you're permitted to use compressed air for cleaning. But, man, he is. And it would make their lives so much easier right. to do that because, you know, cleaning by hand is incredibly difficult. Particularly dust, right? Dust, yeah, it's very difficult. And, and uh, But, man, he is adamant. And so it's one of those absolutes that, you know, there are probably alternatives and exceptions that can be done safely. Right, exactly. You know? But well, we have a thing, too. I, I may have mentioned this last time we talked, but we have a policy called alternate safety procedures and that any manager can can request an alternate safety procedure. If for some reason they perceive that they can't do it safely in the, in the, or they can't produce a quality product or it's going gonna, it's gonna to hinder our ability to make a profit somehow uh, to efficiently do the work, mm-hmm. uh, then they can request an alternate safety procedure to the rule. So mm-hmm. um, that just means we have to think what you're saying. We have to just think creatively. So how can we control the risk? What is the risk? Okay, well, Here's the risk right here. Mm-hmm. How are we going to control it? Otherwise, we'll come up with some way. The three of us will agree, and we'll we'll move ahead with this all. Is that a documented procedure? Yes. You go through an actual. Yeah. We we it's call a little it, checklist. Yeah, we call it the Star Stop Think Act review. And so, mm-hmm. anything that's outside the scope of what we would consider normal, uh, we would have to. They would have to get the document, and we would sit down with a panel of people. We'd review the step by step what they're going to be doing and what the risks associated mm-hmm. to that, and anything that we can do to kind of shore that up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. as, as so if there is a need for some alternative measure. What is your experience with, um, with with that? How long does it typically take? It could take, depending upon the type of job that they're going to be doing, it could take 15 minutes in yep. a room or it could take 30 minutes. You know, if it's a contractor doing some pretty serious work, we probably want them in there a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. If it's a team member who is getting moved from, let's say, secondary manufacturing to our op side, we probably want to spend a little bit more time retrain them on forklift, but then have them go through the different scenarios of what they could be mm-hmm. um, up against. So, right. yeah, it's just it's case by case right. situation. And that's that's been my experience. Ten or fifteen minutes yeah. is typically all it takes. It doesn't, it doesn't shut the doors. No, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't shut door. down production. Yeah, and usually, mm-hmm. and I and I know that that when I first introduced that concept, people were like, "Really, we can do something?" Yeah, of course. You just have to stop and think about it. And the, mm-hmm. the policy essentially is that. That um, that as long as you get several people together to creatively come up with a solution, you can you know you're going to come up with a pretty good one. It's yep. it's when you say, 
you know, expletive and go. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. When you say that yeah. and you just go, that's when right. people get hurt and kill. Yeah. But if right. you just stop back and the three of us kick it around a little bit, we're going to come up with a pretty good idea mm -hmm. of how to control the risk. Mm -hmm. And the person that's doing it wants to have a good idea. Right. Um, I love that idea. And I, and I think that is such an integral part of an effective safety program. If you can get employees to stop when they have concerns about something or they are unsure about something and and, and if not, not only think, but maybe just bounce ideas off someone else or get some feedback from someone else. If you reach that point in your safety program, you've really accomplished something. Yeah. Because I think typically people would just give the expletive, and I'm right. happy to sh share some or at least, <laughs> and then uh, just forge ahead, you know, right. and that's obviously not what we necessarily want them to do. Yeah. So, man, that's a big step. And it seem, it doesn't seem you know, huge when you think about it. But if you've reached that point, it, it's it's not unlike, you know, a, a situation where you have employees looking out for each other and where someone might intervene if they see you doing something ill-advised or against a policy or unsafe and they say something to you. Those things seem minor on their face, but those are huge if your program reaches that point. So yeah. that's we've really... Had, we've experienced that a number of times. I wonder... Sometimes how much happens that you don't know about, but I do mm -hmm. recognize that we get, I get a good bit of uh, requests for alternate procedures and mm -hmm. go through that process quite a bit. And so what usually triggers it? You said some, something might come up as, as, yeah, as a fairly non-routine circumstance. Exactly. I would so we had an, as an example, we had a machine that was down. We needed to bring it up. We had to have this gate opened in order to process. And it's a long explanation, but I won't go into that, but just trust me that we had to have it mm -hmm. open. The gate had to be open. We had to cycle the machine. Uh, the rule is that you can't do that. The gates can't be open. You can't cycle the machine. Um, so we set up a process where they put a barrier up and, and had a person standing there to make sure nobody entered the area while they cycled mm -hmm. the machine. And, uh, and they were allowed to do that. It took us about five or six minutes to come up with that, mm -hmm. another three or four minutes to set it all up, and then they did their job. Nice. And we kind of pocket that. We can't, they can't start defaulting to that. Right, it's not they an automatic. They have to get permission every time. But now that we know a way to do that, when they run into it next time, we can just pull that out and say, okay, here's what we did last mm -hmm. time. Uh, maybe add something to it and do it the same way. I love it. I think the big thing here, too, is is the trust that they have in the safety director, managers, mm -hmm. and knowing that we will collaborate with them and not mm -hmm. work against them. Because exactly. I think wow, too that's often... A, that's a they, great comment. Yeah, they've been, they've been worked against and said, nope, you can't mm -hmm. do this, and they don't. Get, we're not solution-focused, so we're not giving them any other ways that they can do this. We're just saying this is what the book says, and yeah, right. with what Jim's doing and myself and hopefully other safety professionals mm -hmm. is we're building that trust, and they understand that... We will kind of go outside the scope of what we'd consider normal, but we'll do it safely, and they trust that we'll do it. And that is an excellent observation and comment. Thank you for that one, both of you guys. Those are really good, interesting. But I, I love that idea because so much of what we do is non-routine or, or uh, case by case, and we have to be flexible. We have to be innovative, um, and and, uh, I, and that trust component is such a big deal if the employees or supervisors assume that safety is going to be the obstacle to solving these problems they don't con confer with us mm -hmm. but if they have come to understand that that uh, they, they're going to get some relief perhaps or at least some some uh, objective consideration from the safety people that, that is uh it's tremendous so uh, interesting very interesting yeah. all right excellent um Man, so let me scramble and write some notes down. I'm, I'm actually the only one that learns from any of these conversations, I'm sure. But uh, someday I'm going to be a hell of a safety guy after all of these. Um, let's talk a little bit about the OSHA Top 10, okay? 
Um, it gets it gets announced and published every year. And, you know, I mean, the minute that OSHA releases the top 10 most frequently cited violations, it hits the National Safety Council magazine. It goes online. Everybody's got a copy of it. We look at it and think, I think they just changed the date. It looks exactly <laughs> like last year's, you know. But the, the problem with that becomes, in my why I can tell you why, from an OSHA standpoint, why these things repeat. You know, they tend to be the things that are programmatically driven by OSHA. So they're look. I mean, for example, in Nebraska, a, a, as part of any routine inspection, the compliance officers are going to evaluate hazard communication, lockout, tagout, and powered industrial trucks. Mm-hmm. That is going to be part of almost every inspection that's conducted in Nebraska. And perhaps that's true in other jurisdictions as well. So you know those things are going to be heavily scrutinized and cited more frequently. The problem I have is why do they, why do they still find stuff wrong with those programs? Knowing, as an employer, knowing that that's under such scrutiny. So let, let's start with hazard communication. I mean, it's a fairly basic program. You have an inventory of chemicals. You have some data sheets. You know, you have some labels and do a little training. Why, why is that such a problem? And, and if it's not a problem in your facilities, what are you doing to address those issues? Or You want me to go first? Yeah, yeah okay. let's go ahead. Yeah, man. I think one of the biggest issues is the turnover rate with safety people. Um, because, and they can't get a, a good cadence with mm-hmm. how they need to be doing things. I'm the third safety manager in four years at Jack Link's. Okay, okay. And so the, the consistent message or the inconsistent message yeah. that's getting, so how do we how do we – handle this and tackle mm-hmm. this. And I, I see that the labeling thing is an issue because they don't really know. It's not mm-hmm. getting trained, which is mm-hmm. a, obviously then, and then there's no safety data sheets attached to that. What I come to find out that is if you create a pretty solid and comprehensive chemical management plan and make it a condition for any purchaser who is bringing on chemicals. Mm-hmm. So instead of it coming from safety, it's saying that, hey, you need to do this prior to and let us know so we can do conduct a, what we call DFMEA on this chemical to make sure it's um, safe for our team members, make sure it's safe for food. Then uh, that way, if they if we don't if we do a, a checklist and they don't we don't have um, a matching inventory list to what we have out on the floor, then we can go back to the purchaser and hold them accountable mm-hmm. instead of trying to hold ourselves accountable like or that. something. Yeah, that so, is good. What, any chance you could tell me what the DFMEA stands for? Design Failure Modes Effects Analysis. So okay. it's, it's a, just an inductive way of saying how we're going to use this chemical, what's the composition of this, these mixtures, and how is it going to affect our, and in what type of manner are we going to be using it and okay. what quantity. And so that way we can at least quantify the, the hazard to that. And if it's okay. above a certain hazard, we say, we will not allow this in. If gotcha. it's below it, then we say, yep, this is good to go. And then based on that, you all automatically obviously have the SDS for yep. it. And, yep. and yep. people become, have become aware of what this product is and where they're going to use it. Yep. So we make it a condition for engineering, for purchasing, and for maintenance that they have to have this in place, a part of their chemical management plan, not mine. I understand. Yeah. How do you, can I, I ask like a that, question? Yeah. How, do you, how do you, how do you, control things like the maintenance guy brings in his special, you know, spray that, that fixes everything or, or you have a salesperson that brings something in here, try this. I think you'll like it. Mm-hmm. And we end up with, you know, with uh, some unaccounted cabinet for stuff yeah, out there. Cabinet yeah. full of stuff like that. So what we had to do was we had to, we had to get everybody on the same page on the same mm-hmm. baseline because yeah, I'm the, like I said, the third person in mm-hmm. four years and kind of give them our expectation of what we need to be doing and then moving forward that this is what you're going to need to do. Now, obviously, there's going to be a soft rollout because mm-hmm. old habits die hard. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. However, um, right now, it's, it's 
it's, it's pretty, pretty common. Well yeah, we. I mean, if we see onesies and twosies out there, we'll try to we'll identify it to the root source and we'll take the, mm-hmm. you know course of action that's appropriate mm-hmm. for that. So, right. And if people yeah. are sneaking their stuff in, or if it's just it's just making its way into the facility, with yep. not going through the proper channels, right? And but once they realize they, there's disciplinary action attached to that, they mm-hmm. they stop pretty quickly. Then, right. Yeah. And 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 that doesn't. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's overly burdensome if they want to do if they do want to bring some new chemical in or trial it or something. But I, do, I love the idea. Uh, first of all, the, the the collaboration between those different departments, but you you have to do some type of a a pre assessment before you introduce new chemicals into your workplace. I mean that that's just man, you just can't be bringing stuff in mm-hmm. and then figuring out after the fact. Ooh, that that yeah. presents an, a unique hazard that we weren't aware of. That's a bad idea. And then we do a short training on on the classification of that hazard for that chemical just to everybody. It's a mm-hmm. it's kind of a huddle topic so that way we meet that requirement on mm-hmm. the training because everything that was there uh, prior to it's impossible to do a, a one you know we have hundreds of chemicals and so we just I just broke it up by classification. So here are all of our flammables, here are all of our aerosols, here mm-hmm. are all of our our uh, STOTs, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And, and the standard permits that. Yeah. That's a, that. It's one of the recommended ways to address I think that. people get overwhelmed or safety managers get overwhelmed because they think they have to go one by one every with chemical. every single chemical when mm-hmm. you just classify it, it's easier. Right. Yeah. I like that idea. What about you? What do you guys we do? A couple do you have a control things. method that, that we you're do. using? We do. It's not as extensive as, as, as Jack Link's, obviously, mm-hmm. but, but we do approximately the same thing. We mm-hmm. have some quality requirements for chemicals that are on the production floor and and everything is supposed to go through the tool crib, but we have those things that pop up. It's like, what the heck is this? And, right. You know, and you, it's right. almost impossible to track it back where it came from because, you know, people scatter when you hold yeah. up. Who's is that? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's looking at their feet. Yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it doesn't happen that much. But, but it does. That that is that is a tough one to to get around. It sounds like you guys have done a really good job with that. One of the things we do to make sure we have the SDSs on everything, though, is that we do part of our we have a weekly inspection that each shift does a weekly safety inspection in each area. So each little team uh, goes and inspects their own area. And one of the things they have to do is find a material that's in their area, a chemical that's in their area, and take it to their supervisor who has to produce for them a safety data sheet on it. And so then it gets them used to looking that thing up. Mm-hmm. And if they find something they can't find it on, they send me a note and say, hey, we found this stuff and we're not mm-hmm. sure what it is and we don't mm-hmm. have an SDS. And then that starts the process of figuring out where it came from and, right. and that kind of thing. So and we've right. gotten to, as the result of that, that happens routinely enough that everybody knows how to put their hands on an SDS and everybody knows that sooner or later this thing is going to get found. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so it kind of forces people back into the right. proper way. Of and doing. it's an interesting way. I, I really like those strategies for challenging your system. When, when I was with OSHA, one of the things that the compliance officers would do would yeah, as, as they're conducting a, just a general scheduled audit of a facility would be to do the same thing. I am, I'm over in a workstation. I see a chemical. I look at the employee in that workstation and say, hey, can you find me a data sheet for this? Or what can you tell me about this chemical? Mm-hmm. What kind of hazards are associated with this chemical? And then see if they can actually go find a data sheet on that rather than try to go through the entire inventory of chemicals as a compliance officer. I don't have any interest in that. Right. I just want to know if your process works. And so you know, asking for those types of things and trying to see whether or not the, and I got to be honest with you, there were a number of occasions where the employees would struggle with that. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd go to the, we have a computer terminal, they'd go to the terminal, they couldn't get logged in, or they couldn't find the chemical, the data sheet, or they didn't know the common name, or whatever it was. Right. Uh, so I think those are really useful ways to evaluate the efficiency of your systems, mm-hmm. or the accuracy of your systems, perhaps is a better, you know, I think that's a, 
that's a nice thing to do. Just right. to challenge it once in a while. Yeah. See if the employees get it. I've got a question for both of you. How do you handle secondary labeling? That seems to be a big problem. I've never been in a facility where I couldn't find some unlabeled containers, you know? Right. How do you make secondary labeling effective or easy for your, your guys or gals? Oh, you want me to go first? <laughs> have you come up with anything yet? That, I mean, um, that, that's to, really a challenge. I'm I mean, everything here at Jack Links is mostly on the are just um, manufacturing labels. Using that, that so, supplier's label. Yeah, so we have maybe a couple cleaning supplies, mm -hmm. chemicals, and there's a GHS label that was already made that we attached to, mm -hmm. to the bottle. So I was pretty fortunate. Now at, at Hornaday, Mm -hmm. That was an epidemic problem. Yeah, it was. And I, I remember you were mm -hmm. there, and you probably saw yeah, a lot we, of that. Yeah, we had a lot of issues so, with that. And so and that was very difficult. It was. In the very beginning, it was everywhere. And then as we just kept on this water on rock effect, it got better. And it wasn't great, but it got better mm -hmm. because we just kept auditing and auditing. And finally, they, they just come to realize that, and through management, that, yeah, we just need to have a label on these. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're going to fall off, or sometimes they're not going to be legible. But that's why we're here to to audit and to make sure that, you know, if it's unlegible, right. then we go get them a new label and yeah, we just use an HMIS system okay. um, at Hornady. Yeah. Well, and, and, the, and the auditing is, is uh, important. We, you know, we want to be periodically auditing, auditing all of our workplaces and looking for those. But ideally, but, you know, again, auditing is catching something after the fact. And if you can just provide some training and a, and a mechanism for the employees to either to, to develop a secondary label, if that's the expectation or to acquire a secondary label and get that done up front and reduce the need for that level of auditing. I just don't know how I've seen some facilities that put a labeling station out in the, in the facility and all of the, you know, the labels, the blank labels are there or, uh, and, and the zip ties are there or whatever the adhesive is going to be. And you fill it out or you print off of, you know, the, the label right off of the computer and, and then just, you know, affix it to the container, whatever that is. I mean, it's making it easy and more accurate. You know, it's kind of, a, you know, the easier, the better oftentimes. Mm -hmm. So you guys come up with anything? We, no, we just use the NFPA labeling system. And mm -hmm. frankly, the, the system that Airlight had in place when I arrived there eight years ago was really, really good. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely, honestly, rarely find anything that's not labeled. And it's always kind of been that way. So the my predecessor had set up a really good process that we've just kept the ball rolling with it mm -hmm. uh, and it's just an FPA labeling system and and anytime and we, we we're limited because of food service on the mm -hmm. number of things that you can have out on the production floor right, anyway right, right and so that helps a lot and sure. so you have standard labels for everything so everybody knows that for the isopropyl alcohol what you put in the different triangles the numbers you put in there and and uh, and they can get those mm -hmm. through, the, through the tool crib very easily and so um, and so, and we do the zip tie and those mm -hmm. things are laminated. So they last a good while. Nice. So we just don't end up having a big problem with it. I did have an employee brought a, a container of cleaning solvent or something in a spray bottle that wasn't labeled to my office yesterday. And oh, good. So it's sitting there and I'm trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> what the hell is it? <laughs> Tasting it and smelling it. You know, yeah. 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 Can stuff. I pour this down the drain? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that's, you know, I've been in a few places and, and uh, food processing in particular where they are using where it is an everyday occurrence to take cleaning chemicals from a large tote and putting them into smaller spray bottles or gallon jugs or whatever the case might be. So this is a routine occurrence, and they have just basically prepared tags, labels, mm -hmm. and provide you know that they provide uh, already prepared, and they they're in the cabinet or on the wall, whatever, yeah. and they've got zip ties there, and so 
there is no need for the employee to go generate something. They just they just take it right off the wall. They know they're going to need it. It's already there. Yeah. It makes it so much easier. And those are really effective. I, I like that. You know, if that's something that is common to your work environment, you know you're going to be doing it all the time. It's just so much easier to have it already done. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that is it. exactly the way that, that that is at Airlight, that they have those things um, pre-done. Pre-printed, pre-developed yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know what they are. There's only a half a dozen of them that, right. need to be done that you use all the time. Right. And I think if most companies, if you really looked at it, you probably only need a half dozen things out there. You probably have 20 of the same exact thing with a different label on it. Right. You know, likely, yeah, yeah, the number can't be huge, I wouldn't yeah. think. So. Oh, very good. Well, Cody, you touched on it already a little bit, the training element of this. Um, and, and any type of training can be challenging. I think, you know, the conditional stuff is a lot easier than the actual training stuff. Um, but you talked about training on different categories of chemicals, which I think is a great idea. You know, we've got 20 chemicals that we consider flammables. We've got three chemicals that are toxic. We've got five chemicals that might be oxidizers or whatever, you know, whatever the case might be, corrosives. Um, what do you do? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm phrasing this specifically because I know of a situation that Jim has, was involved in, but uh, maintenance-type issues like welding, for example, this came up a few years ago at Airlight, as I recall. We talked about this, but the, the, uh, the uh, OSHA was interested in knowing this training on the specific components uh, of the welding fume. Mm -hmm. Do you guys, have you guys, are you doing that now? I know that was something that we talked about. Because depending on, obviously, the different substrate and the, you know, the wire or the stick, whatever you're using, you can be looking at very standard mild components so the the typical you know iron oxide manganese type stuff or you can be looking at hex chrome or zinc or some of these more exotic and toxic components do you train on those individual fume components for your maintenance guys yeah they go through a different training for that just because it's we know a lot it, we know that doesn't meet the article definition for mm -hmm. osha because we are manipulating it we are mm -hmm. atomizing these into fumes right. that they're right. inhaling so yeah we will train to that specific whatever it is so we'll provide sds's to the type of metals the stick the welding sticks whatever so yep that's I know there, there's always a talk that, yeah, this is an article. That it's true until we start. Right, until you use it. Until you put heat to it. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But it is, I think that's a commonly overlooked mm -hmm. training. And uh, I know the OSHA guys tend to focus in on the stuff that gets overlooked, you know, that they are, they, at least that they anticipate will be right, I think uh, I overlooked. You. You could, but you guys had that situation. Yeah, so remember we yeah, talked OSHA about OSHA came it, out based on a, a programmed inspection that they were doing in the plastic industry because we, uh, the industry uses an injection molding a lot of hex chrome and beryllium mm -hmm. uh, for their molds, and so they, they they know that as part of the course of their you know this the work that mm -hmm. happens there, and we weld with it and on it and grind it and things like that. So they were concerned that we were doing proper training on those chemicals and and um, and that we were doing the proper air sampling. And we had done all of those things. Mm -hmm. We had done the air sampling and we uh, we had those things in place. So that we did beef up the training a bit and. Uh, essentially, we made a, a one of our monthly trainings. We do annual training on that through HASCOM, but we also cover that very specifically in our annual training. But we put it also in the JHA. And the JHA, again, anytime you go into a specific job, you have to review the JHA. You take a little written test on that job, job hazard analysis. And any information like that that's relevant to your specific job that may not be relevant to anybody else is going to be in the JHA and covered and tested. And mm -hmm. so everybody's extremely aware of it. So very that's, good. That's how we... We've addressed it. Interesting. Yeah. Any any other tidbits or, or anything you'd like to share about Hascom before we move on? Anything else? 
I just think I think the reason it's a, always at the top ten is that it's an easy one to, to spot. It's just a low hanging fruit that OSHA comes mm-hmm. in, and like you said, they always ask for it. And there's always something that you can. I mean, you it can make your way like. through our plant. You can find an unlabeled container. Uh, I, I I think that it sounds like the two of us would be very easily be able to prove that we. You know, had we seen it, we would have fixed it ourselves. Right. So it's really Absolutely. not a citation. And that's really, yeah, that is the point, right? I mean, there may be isolated instances where we missed a container mm-hmm. or where we didn't have the data sheet, but that, that is not an indictment of a program. That actually sometimes only having one is, 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 a, is a testament to the quality of the program. You know, frankly, I'm, mm-hmm. I would be right. amazed if I couldn't find something like that in any facility. So mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. And OSHA really is not supposed to be citing those isolated incidents like that. Right. You know, I mean, they might occasionally, you know, <laughs> if they can't find anything else, you know, or whatever that, you know, I mean, we all had a, a go-to citation. I don't, know, we've, I don't know if we've talked about this or not, but when I was a compliance officer and when I was a team leader, all of my guys had a go-to citation that when they were really desperate, they could, you know, invariably that would be, you know, present. And you could always, in a you Looking know. for the eighth-inch gap in the tongue guard exactly. on the bench right. Can I tell you a story with Absolutely. the compliance officer? So oh, at Hornaday, he there was a platform, and a team or an employee was on that platform, and he looks at it, and he's like, "Why isn't there an intermediate rail?" And I said, "Um, it's not forty-eight inches." He grabs out his tape measure; it's forty-six and a half, and I'm uh-huh. sweating bullets right here. Oh, right, right, right. <sighs> I gotta, Please, I hope, <laughs> it, I hope it didn't somehow raise while. But that is true, man. That is I mean, true. I can remember back in the old days, we used to issue citations for unguarded dock doors. Because most loading docks are more than 48 inches, or mm-hmm. 48 inches exactly or more. And I, I can remember going to a few locations where they had actually thrown some concrete in at the base. To, <laughs> so wherever my tape measure hit, it was like 47 and a half inches or something. That's you know? hilarious. I mean, I'm going to make a note real quick. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I mean, I don't, want to, I don't you know, want to minimize what we do by saying that's a game. But there was a lo- always a little gamesmanship, it seemed like, in some of these things. But anyway. You should do a podcast on crazy things that happen oh. during OSHA inspections. Well, actually, and, and this is a good time to make that announcement, March is going to be OSHA month. Ooh. All of the podcasts are going to focus on OSHA issues, OSHA protocols, OSHA inspections, oh, and so maybe we will. In fact, uh, I just hooked up uh, Randy Stevenson, yeah. the Baird Home attorney. He is a labor law attorney, a good friend of mine. And uh, in fact, when when, uh, when I was with OSHA and Randy would come in representing an employer, we always have this, oh, shit, they've got Randy Stevenson with them, you know, <laughs> because we knew that we would end up uh, settling because Randy's an excellent attorney and... Uh, so he's going to start that month off uh, the first Friday of that month with our awesome. first episode. So, yeah, cool. maybe we should. We should probably at the end of the month when we've gotten through all the serious stuff, maybe do an episode on the crazy stuff that we've all from, seen during OSHA inspections. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's move on to. Uh, would you rather talk about? Uh, I'll get. I'll leave it up to you. Machine guarding, lockout, tagout, respiratory protection. All of those are on the top ten. I mean, if you look at the breakout of the top ten. And uh, they have commingled 1910 with 1926. So the OSHA top 10, most frequently cited, in, includes both construction and industry. Right. In fact, it's 50-50. It's half of them are construction standards, half are general industry standards. But lockout, tagout, as I mentioned, uh, is always on the list. Machine guarding is typically on the list. Uh, powered industrial trucks is frequently on the list. And I think the the uh, in addition to Hascom, the last one would be respiratory protection and electrical, right. and then electrical is always up there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. 
always up there somewhere. Yeah. But let's talk about lockout tagout a little bit. Um, it seems to be, I, I, I've seen progress. People seem to be doing better with lockout tagout. What, what is the biggest obstacle in your minds to an effective lockout program? I mean, are you, are you still having challenges or do you guys feel pretty comfortable with the way things are? I think we do a, we do a good job of it. Um, I think, you know, is to getting the buy-in first from the people that have to do it. And then it's going to add a little bit of time to the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. is, is the big thing to overcome. But once they've settled in on that, once people have become accustomed to that's just the process, uh, that it becomes pretty easy. And when they understand the, the, the need for it, you know. Um, that, that is a good point. Yeah. yeah, getting them to understand why we they need to do this, why it's a requirement. Right. And the, if they know there's buy-in all the way to the top of the company, too, that helps. That, mm-hmm. that they know... Everybody, no one wants to waste any time. None of your employees want to waste time, or at least the bulk of them, the ones you want to keep, don't mm-hmm. want to waste any time, <laughs> right? Right. And uh, and so so they're very conscientious, and and they want to do a good job, and they want to know that what they're doing is is respected all the way to the top of the company. Mm-hmm. And so if you have opportunities where you can have the top executives and directors uh, encourage people to lock out, say something to them positive when they see them locking out, say, "Hey, I really appreciate the fact that you're locking this out." And, you know, that means a lot of, you know, I'd hate mm-hmm. for something to ever happen um, right. along this line. And if that comes from the very top, I think that that visible management or director level engagement uh, goes a long way to lining people up to do mm-hmm. it, you know. I, I totally agree. Yeah, we, um, it wasn't that much, once again, I came into a, a company that had pretty good um, uh, standards, safety standards, mm-hmm. so, and we don't have very many machines that I'm used to or where Hornady was yeah, you guys had extremely so difficult. Many. We had to be incredible. very creative. Um, but yeah, it was just like what Jim said, you, you get the buy-in, you get the trust. Um, they, yeah, it, it comes from the, the top of the, of the, um, the food chain and mm-hmm. they cast the cascade it all the way down. Um, but if you read the top 10, the interesting thing with the, that one is it has everything to do with that safety person. Um, it's the lack of, they're not doing the periodic inspections. They're not mm-hmm. doing the retraining, yeah. all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. The issues that are being cited. Yeah. The issues that are yeah. being cited. So, and, and. You know, so that just means that we're not focusing on, you know, it's easy to really to start this program mm-hmm. uh, to do the first initial um, inspections. But then for some reason, it gets either dropped off and I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure why. So that's interesting, man. Uh, another really astute observation, because you're right. Those are those primarily focus on duties that would typically fall under the safety department, yeah. mm-hmm. ensuring that those periodic inspections are completed and periodic inspections are oftentimes not always, but frequently done incorrectly, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I misinterpret it, I think. I think people just believe that's just a cursory review that, you know, here's a procedure, check, 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 you know, I mean, without actually engaging the authorized employees in the manner that's directed by the standard. This, you know, one of the things that um, often goes, maybe maybe there's a misconception still about uh, lockout, tagout, or just lack of information, but... You know, the compliance directive for lockout, tagout, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the compliance directives. I know you two guys are, but compliance directives are really valuable documents oftentimes that OSHA has published uh, primarily as guidance to the compliance officers for how they want these particular inspect- these uh, uh, regulations to be inspected. Uh, the document for, com- for uh, lockout, tagout is really exceptional, and there's a lot of great information in there. They get into great detail about periodic inspections and how you can actually group similar specific procedures and group even authorized employees for the purposes of conducting this periodic inspection. 
And I think, I think most companies are still, you know, desperately trying to evaluate every specific procedure and every authorized employee every year. And that can be very challenging, if not insurmountable. And so if you are not familiar with that compliance directive, it's 02-00-147 which is easy because it's one, you know 147 is the standard number that makes me sound impressive I'm not I've got it written on my hand actually but the fact of the matter is that is a really useful document it gives great instruction on how to do this stuff right. and but periodic inspections are always a hang up it seems like you you're know you're talking about periodic inspection of the the actual procedure for each machine, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so really that's how really. Do, if it, I don't want to put you on the spot, but how do you guys do that? At, so we do it once a year. We have it on a schedule. Now, there's one key component that people tend to miss in the in the standard is there is an exception to the to mm-hmm. having the um, the entire procedure. Is procedure. If, yeah, yeah there's know. a there's an eight element per, uh, step, and if you hit all eight elements, mm-hmm. then you don't need one. It doesn't mean you don't lock out. Right. But that's one less administrative thing you have to do. Absolutely. So at, at Warren, right. they had a lot of single um, energy icing devices. One source of energy, and yep. no with no no history of injury or anything like that on thousands of conveyors mm-hmm. and tanks, and it was. They didn't have periodic inspections because there's just no, I mean, that would be one person's job to do that. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, we, we adopted that, that exclusion from that to remove it. And then we just put signs saying that this needs still it falls under lockout tagout. And so they right. know that they still have to do it. But that's one thing where I, I believe lockout tagout seems to be the biggest flex for safety people. I, I think that's if, if you want to know somebody at how good they are at safety, they always talk about lockout tagout. Mm-hmm. And I think right. less is more in some cases where... Yeah. Free up our administrator because there's only usually maybe one of us, maybe two mm-hmm. of us, and that's it. And if plan. you spend all of your time doing those administrative tasks rather than out on the floor where you're really supposed to be, yeah, exactly. You know? But that's a great point. There is an exception to having a written specific procedure, mm-hmm. uh, and as you said, there are eight elements that must be met. But but the the primary element is you know one source of energy, mm-hmm. basically one isolation device that is within your span of control as the as the maintenance or service or maintenance person. Uh, and you don't have to have a written procedure, and therefore you don't have to go through this. You don't have to include that piece of equipment in the periodic inspection. Exactly. And I think people just naturally, they tend to just write procedures for everything mm-hmm. without considering the burden that, that puts on you. That's, that's a really a great point. It man. doesn't make you less safe no, not it having it. it. It frees up your time. You still so train on it. Yeah. You know, you still, you, know, you still probably want to make sure your employees understand their responsibilities mm-hmm. when performing that. You know, the other big hang-up is the, uh, there is that exception that is in 1910-147 in the lockout, tagout, tagout standard that talks about if you are doing something that is routine, repetitive, and integral to the production process, <laughs> we're not doing service or maintenance, this is production, so it's some minor adjustment under that is routine, repetitive, and integral to production, and you can do it, you know, in the with an alternative um, machine guarding methodology, mm-hmm. you you don't have to lock it out in order to perform that that particular adjustment or that particular that becomes a nightmare in almost every situation that I've ever seen because it just takes on a life of its own. You know, right. I I ask people about it and well, this is routine, repetitive, and integral, so we don't have to lock it out. And I mean, they're basically breaking down a motor and tear. You know, I mean. You do that four times a day? Well, <laughs> you know, maybe. I mean, 
Well, really what it comes down to is just saying you don't have to lock it out as long as you're complying with a machine guarding standard. Right. Well, you, if you're complying with machine guarding, of course you don't have to lock protected. it out. You're protected. Right. You're protected. That's all it really says. And that's, yeah, I've had to go around that circle several times. Oh, my times. gosh, and, yeah. That, that is yeah. a rabbit hole that people go down and then they can't get themselves out of sometimes. Right, because then you can take everything and throw it in that basket. Yeah, we yep. tend to lump it all together into right. that. But, it, I mean, it, it was well-intended. And I, there are obviously situations where it is applicable and, and appropriate. Right. But it just tends to become, as you said earlier, Jim, it just tends to become this uh, catch-all that I don't feel like locking it out or it's not easy to right. lock out. And so I'm not going to do it because it's, you know, my machine is so crappy that this is this breakdown occurs about every hour. So it's become <laughs> routine, repetitive, and integral, you know, but it's it's not actually what the exception was intended for. So I think that one can be a little bit of a, of a stumbling block. I think, Doug, you've heard this. I've probably said this a million times because this is my flex on on hazard communication or has or control of hazardous energy. But the uh, ANSI Z two forty four point one. If if you don't, if they if safety people, they just need to read it. The safety professionals because this will give you a little bit more flexibility within that uh, within the standard. And if you have PLCs or category three, category four. Um, and control it, circuitry. Con- yep, yep. Yep. You can do a lot more with that. And I've, I've actually used it and, and part of one of the inspections and they allowed it because mm-hmm. of, of, uh, so you're, you're locking yeah. it out basically at a circuit or at a, at a yep. safety uh, switch device. Correct. Yes. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you know, that's interesting you say that because <laughs> I, I don't know when the standard was written, the lockout tech probably 1982, 83 mm-hmm. timeframe, somewhere in that range. And the control circuitry, it used to say very specifically, you, you cannot use control circuitry as an energy isolation point, but I think right. that's changing. The technology mm-hmm. is changing. The, the the categories of control circuitry have been upgraded. The redundancies and that are built in. The redundancies. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's safe right. and as long as we have some control, I think those things are maybe not recognized as such in the standard, but those are appropriate. Right. I mean, ultimately, all we're trying to do is just make sure our employees are safe. Mm-hmm. And some of this rhetoric is just, you know, it's just, you know, just that. But one of the things that, that I would recommend is a new, if you were setting up a safety program, is to try to always incorporate your safety programs with whatever programs currently exist. Mm-hmm. So this particular one, as far as doing the periodic inspections, really lines up well with, with uh, preventative maintenance. And so yeah. if you can add that to their checklist of things that on ours, they go through, it's one of their checklists that they look at when they do PMs on all of our machines is make sure that the, the procedures are there. We post the procedure on the machine, of course. Mm-hmm. And so they make sure it's there and they give it a once over to make sure that those uh, items, that that method of locking it out is still effective. Mm-hmm. And then they, if, it, if not, they just note it on their PM and then that becomes a work order mm-hmm. to, to update. Yeah, that. I love that. So, yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. I'm going to yeah. write that down. Yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah, I Absolutely. find lots of ways to make that someone else's responsibility. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> well, they're the experts. I have a too, reputation so. for that, I'm afraid. Uh, I mean, might have to actually listen to this one. Uh, you know, I, I have a tendency not to listen to the podcast afterwards because right. it just, you know, just reinforces this, oh my God, what am I doing? Kind of a, you know, fear. But uh, there is so much information being sh- in these podcasts that, I, frankly, I find myself going back and just digging out little bits and pieces. Right. You know? So I think, and another, th- just the overall safety, just safety program management, one thing to remember is that, that uh, it's, it's easy to, for safety to become a silo where people just throw it over the, you know, throw it over the fence, let safety do it, let safety do it, let safety do it. Mm-hmm. And when I first hired on with Airlight, one of our discussions, my discussions with what was going to be my boss uh, was that, 
we didn't want to hire a big a staff for safety necessarily because we wanted to identify where that fit in its in 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 the actual production process mm-hmm. and make it fit there so that it's done routinely as part of their standard work rather than something they throw over the fence to safety. Right. And so yeah. any time that you can find an you opportunity know, to do that, that's the way to well, go. That, that is a great comment, man. Mm-hmm. That is a great comment because I think uh, traditionally safety, at least in the past, used to be the domain was, well, let the safety guy do it. That's the safety guy's responsibility. He or she take care of that, whatever the case might be. Right. And we want to get away from that, you know, as we talked about earlier. I mean, safety is such an integral part of production and quality and all of the other facets of the work that we do right. that you don't want to segregate it like that. And so, you know, just like in a, in a JHA, this job hazard analysis, I think all of that stuff needs to be integrated into our work procedure it's like training. You don't necessarily just want to do safety training. You want to train your employees to perform their jobs and tasks safely. Right. It's exactly. a little bit different approach. It's yeah. just, you know, I mean, I, maybe that's intuitive, but it just seems like in the past they used to be separate things. And now we, we really have come to the realization that they aren't separate things, that they all just, need to be integrated just, and handled that way. efficiently do quality work. You're going right. to do all three of those things. But I love the idea of finding how that fits into the actual operations or production uh, elements of our of our workplaces. I think that's cool. That is cool. Well, man, we are rolling up on time. Anything anything interesting going on at your place that you want to talk about or any new, uh, like, cultural, you know, driving engagement Engaging programs? Engaging things we, we, we are doing. Um, we do a question of the week. So whatever the, the period of the training is, we do questions of the week that um, pertain to that, um, that training course and mm-hmm. then – Every or by the end of the period, we'll draw names for for gift cards. It's just another way to funnel in more uh, information to mm-hmm. them. We're bring, giving them topics and the huddles. How do you um, get? How do they get the question of the week? Is we that posted post on, on board? board yep. And so the first time we did this, we had a hundred team members or hundred total uh, people um, uh, participate, and then we had oh, over nice. three hundred the next period. Once they yeah. realized that there's money involved <laughs> right, in everything, right, right, right. so oh, um, nice, but man. just a different way because people are going to learn different. We're going to do scavenger hunts for the 100 days of summer. So right when it gets busy, we're going to start doing where, you know, just simple emergency action planning, all that kind of stuff where it's mm-hmm. located at. So uh, we're just trying to find cost effective ways to do a lot of engaging mm-hmm. that is um, that we pertinent for their mm-hmm. um, jobs there. I do like that. I, I, I share a story with you. I can remember I used to do some training when I was the compliance assistance specialist in the Omaha office. I used to do training for the compliance officers. And I can remember we were actually putting in a VPP application, you know, that was back when uh, the uh, regional administrator wanted all of the area offices in VPP. And so we went through that motion and um, I'm sitting at the, in the conference room with all the guys and I asked them, does anybody know where the fire extinguisher is in our office? And, you know, 10 blank stairs, of course, nobody had any idea where the fire, ext- these are highly trained professionals, <laughs> of course, you know, nobody, including myself, because I'd gone and looked for it, you know, just to try to find out. No one knew where the fire extinguisher was. And I think even, I think we just take for granted sometimes that the, those most basic things are covered, that, they're, that we're competent with those things. And sometimes it's just a matter of, as you, I love the idea of just asking basic questions, you know, and, and rewarding that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I th- you know, that element of reward oftentimes goes overlooked as well and how, how reinforcing that can be. But I like that idea. I think that's great. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Anything else? I'm you guys going are- to blank. <laughs> they do a lot. No, it's really kind of interesting because we're doing the exact same thing. We, we do a scavenger hunt type thing cool. once a month that reflects the monthly training. And, cool. and uh, 
everybody, we, I keep track of it. A scorecard is probably a good thing if, mm-hmm. the, if I were going to end on something that we do. We do a scorecard that tracks uh, and keeps track of, of things like number of inspections that were done, number of safety improvements that were opened, how many of those were tracked through to conclusion, and we come up with a score that scores actually the vice president of the company. I sent him a note and say, your safety management leadership score is this, and here's mm-hmm. kind of where we fell off that made us go backwards a little bit. Here's some things we're doing really, really well. And, and I just published that and sent it out. And it's amazing. If you keep track of something, you keep scorecard on it, people will step up to the Again, plate and they will cool. make it happen because they can see their progress. Right, yeah. right. We get what we measure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Question, exactly I mean, that. So, no doubt. So Excellent. Good measurement. And I would, uh, and I think maybe you maybe say this already, but I'd be willing to share you know, some of those things, if there's ever documents or whatever that, that someone Excellent. hears, they go, hey, I'd like to see that alternate procedure or something like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Excellent. Well, whether sure. you guys knew it or not, I'm, I'm posting your <laughs> contact information on my website. So if anybody has uh, questions, I mean, I know this, these guys have full-time jobs during the day, but if you do have questions or want additional information, just go to FletcherSafety.com and, you know, either look for Jim's or Cody's contact information, shoot them an email, and um, I'm sure they would be more than happy to hook you up with some additional information on any of these subjects. Um, For those of you out there that are listening, keep up the good work. Uh, We know that this is incredibly challenging, but but the work that you are doing is important, and we are here to help you in any way that we can. So uh, we appreciate your tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you again probably, it sounds like, in March during OSHA month. (laughs) So we'll get back to that. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys, for being here. Let's go have some Mexican food, and uh, we'll talk to you later. A Parkville Media Production.